This week on WealthTrack, legendary investor Charlie Dreyfus describes the considerable risk building in the markets and how his Roy Special Equity Fund wins by losing less. When the alarms go off, when we cannot find new candidates to replenish the portfolio and the existing names have spent themselves in that the valuation gap is eliminated, it's a telltale sign that the market is in for trouble. An exclusive with Charlie Dreyfus is available this week on Consuelo Mac Wealth Track. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, Clearbridge Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. One of the most notable characteristics of the last decade was the wide divergence in market performance. We've reported many times on the narrow group of superstars, mainly large-cap U.S. tech stocks, and the much wider universe of laggards, value and small-cap stocks in particular. In 2020, that divergence blew up. Small-cap went from worst to first. The year began disastrously. Small-cap's Russell 2000 benchmark suffered its worst quarterly decline in its 40-plus-year history with a 30% plunge. A strong rebound in the second quarter, smaller one in the third, then blast off. It ended the year with the best quarterly gain ever, a stunning 31% advance, handily beating large caps for the quarter. When it was all over, the small cap index had gained 101.3% from its March 18th low, although it lagged large cap and tech for the entire year. As small cap specialists and pioneers, Royce Investment Partners put it, While we have witnessed many oddities in our nearly five decades of small cap investing, we have never seen a year as extreme as 2020. What was behind the wild swings in small caps and where does the asset class go from here? Small cap value in particular? We have a WealthTrack exclusive with an investment legend whose specialty is in-depth financial analysis in the small cap universe. He is Charlie Dreyfus, lead portfolio manager of the Royce Special Equity Fund, which he launched in 1998. He was named Morningstar's Domestic Stock Fund Manager of the Year in 2008. The fund is rated five-star by Morningstar and carries a bronze analyst rating. Special Equity's risk-averse approach means it lags in bull markets, still capturing 80% of the upside, but offers protection in down markets, experiencing only 60% of market declines. As a result, it has beaten its benchmark with less risk over multiple periods since inception. As you will see from Wealth Tax Credits at the end of the show, Royce is a Wealth Track sponsor. I began our conversation by asking Dreyfus to share his 50 years of money management perspective on the stock market's performance since COVID hit. I've, I've seen this movie before, and it doesn't end well. I remember the silliness that accompanied uh, first in the late 50s, Sputnik and Cape Canaveral. That was when Russia launched a satellite 
and just shocked the United States because the United States thought that it would be first to launch a satellite right. to circle the Earth. So then we had, like we have today, a la the SPACs and IPOs, you had a whole bunch of companies that had Cape Canaveral in their name, even though they may have had nothing to do with Cape Canaveral, and they were the hot stocks of that day and age. Um, then we had the Nifty 50 in 1972-74, where there was a group that has much more similarity to what occurred from 2010 to 2020 with uh, the FANG stocks uh, right. and, and the anointed growth stocks. People paid up for growth. And the argument was, you know, you never can overpay because time is your friend. These companies will compound. Among, uh, at 15% a year or so, if you pay too much this year, in time you'll be bailed out. In that cohort of 50 names in 1972-74 was Sears Roebuck, Eastman Kodak, uh, J.C. Penney, Polaroid, wow. uh, Burroughs. Uh, you know, companies just don't exist anymore. Right. Um, so uh, that has had its long-term weakness. On the other hand, in that group was Johnson & Johnson and, and Triple M. And so there are names that have sustainability and durability, but it, it shows that people can get uh, too exuberant. The dot-com, the most right. recent experience. Uh, and we have, you know, by dint of, I'm sure we'll get to the, the GameStop uh, phenomenon right now, but we also had this proliferation of these blank check companies, these SPACs. Right, the uh, special purpose right. acquisition corporations that uh, had, had garnered record amounts of money uh, last year. And, Billions. And, and, yeah, and, and the dominant IPO, although there were other IPOs that also did very well, but that's very reminiscent of the launching of investment trusts in 1929 by the major brokerage houses before the market declined. There are so many telltale signs of excessive behavior. You know, and former SEC chairman uh, Arthur Levitt Jr. Right. Uh, made a statement that the financial scene is not the place for fake news. And so we're getting a lot of proliferation in fake news, which is these chat rooms talking up stocks. You know, people are losing sight of the fact that if you lose 25 percent is much more detrimental than trying to make the 25 percent because you're down more by the, the it's not equivalent decline and gains. Right. So, um, you know, if you decline uh, 25% to be even, you've got to be up 33%. So losing, uh, right, really hurts and is more difficult to recover from than many people realize. Absolutely. And that's been the hallmark of my fund. We make right. people money by losing less. It's really that simple. We buy absolute value, and I have run public mutual funds for 40 years on this basis. So I've seen over very many different market regimes 
how this works. Right. And if you buy absolute value and you adhere to that, you will make money by losing less. The stock market has very, actually, simple uh, advice that people have uh, provided over the years that is not often listened to. A, you don't have to be in the market all the time, but if you are, pick a vehicle that has less volatility because volatility works against the investor. And what happens is they lose the long-term benefit because many investors, unfortunately, if the mutual fund or stock is down a great deal during bad times, they'll sell and they'll right. sell at a time that turns out to be, if not the bottom, near the bottom. And then they often don't get back in until the market's back towards the top. So to prevent that, to uh, uh, retard that instinctive behavior is to buy investments uh, that have less volatility and protect on the downside. If the, if the fund or stock doesn't go down as much, you'll be less inclined to sell it. Right. And, and so that you actually, there's, there's a, a term, you know, realized return, but that's assuming you're, you stay there. And the only way you end up staying there is if it doesn't really disappoint you that much. Mm -hmm. Which is why, you know, Roy Special Equity, I know that Morningstar... Uh, basically has written a great deal about you as a legendary investor, but also the fact that you protect people in down markets and that there is, you know, stickiness uh, yes. with, right, with, with your investors because they're not freaking out uh, every time there's a huge market decline because you do do better. L let me ask you about um, absolute value, that concept. What do you mean when you say that you're looking for absolute value in the stocks that you buy? I'm looking for the convergence of economic logic, accounting logic, and capitalistic logic. So it's, it's as simple as saying, would I buy the entire business? Would I have a positive return? So my colleague, Steve McBoyle, and I, who manages the portfolio with me, we determine what the cap rate is, meaning the return we would earn if we bought the entire business. And we compare that against a, uh, a substitute. We don't, the academics, those who are no doubt watching your show, they, they would say to me, this is not a cost of capital and they're right. Mm -hmm. This is a substitute for cost of capital. So what we're using is the junk bond yield. The junk bond yield is available daily. It's uh, something that people understand rather than a uh, massive equation to get the true cost of capital. Right, so and, and of course, it, we're talking about small cap, largely small cap stocks. So therefore, they, would, they possibly would be paying junk bond rates to borrow right. money, right? Rather than investment grade, which right. would be for a larger company. Large, right. Exactly. Charlie, give me an example of a company uh, that, that exemplifies what you're talking about. So um, a company that exemplifies this would be uh, Standard Motor Products. 
-hmm. It's an auto replacement parts company, makes hardly any equipment, any auto replacement parts for new automobiles. There's a little bit of that in terms of the Chinese market. But domestically, they are all what's known as aftermarket. Mm -hmm. They provide replacement parts for an aging auto fleet. And their stuff is largely uh, climate control, air conditioning, and uh, engine management. So uh, reasonably stable business. Uh, And these numbers are not far from where the actual numbers would lie these days. The cap rate, the return you would earn if you bought the entire business at the current market price, would be around 9%. And the cost of capital, the, the junk bond yields, um, are between 45 and 5%. They swing around a bit. So there's a big spread. Mm-hmm. Not only is, you know, let's use 5 and 9. So there's 4 percentage points spread, but also the 9 is a relatively high absolute number. So if we're wrong, if something happens... Uh, Standard Motor Products loses a customer and all of a sudden they're not earning as much as they used to earn because they do have a concentrated list of customers. Um, Then, you know, the the cap rate comes down because the earnings come down. Right. So if the cap rate comes down to seven, we still have a cushion. What's been happening in the marketplace is that there are fewer and fewer standard motor products still around as attractive candidates. The portfolio, as we speak, has only 36 names. Now, it's always been a concentrated portfolio. We've always had big bets on our names because we do an awful lot of work. We have high conviction Mm -hmm. in the names we buy, and so we uh, own big positions. Yes, what you have, you have this uh, cycle of things getting expensive because of liquidity and losing its grip to economic reality. So there are names in the portfolio that got close to the junk bond yield, so we started reducing those positions because there was no reason to own them. There was no spread. Right. And... When they actually got down to the junk bond yield, we sold them. So the number of names in the portfolio, despite adding 10 names in March and April of this last right, year, the when the market lows, right. went down, um, we're, we're left with 36. And the portfolio, we have the same approach we use for valuing stocks. We value the entire portfolio. So we're sitting, uh, as of year-end, on uh, 18.8% in cash in the Which portfolio. is very unusual for Roy Special Equity, correct? Yes. And you'd rather have the cash than, than invest in companies that might be you know, more expensive? Why would you rather have the cash than kind of go with the market? When... The alarms go off when we cannot find new candidates to replenish the portfolio. Right. And the existing names have 
spent themselves in that the valuation gap is eliminated, it's a telltale sign that the market is in for trouble. What it doesn't tell adequately is when the market will be in trouble. <laughs> so I will be the first to admit there's a fine line between being early and wrong. So this can give a signal way too early. You cannot buy cheap stocks with other cheap stocks. You would have to, if you don't have the cash, you have to sell something to take advantage of what's inexpensive. So not only are you avoiding the impact of the decline by having the cash, but you have the cash to be opportunistic. You know, it's the old Buffett expression, I want to be greedy when others are fearful. Right. And I want to be fearful when others are greedy. So, Charlie, how big a part of the fact that the Roy Special Equity declines less in down markets than your benchmark, for instance, how big a part does having larger cash positions play in that, as opposed to because the stocks that you own are, you know, have tremendous attributes, you know, their financial strength and they're the wherewithal to see them through down cycles. Both help during those specific episodes of yeah. market decline. But overall, for the 22-year history, the attribution is negative. Cash has hurt me. The other thing, which is a subtle thing, which uh, is much more elusive to understand, is our top 10 positions are always greater than 40% of the portfolio. And I have confidence to do that because I generally keep 8 to 10% in cash, so I don't have to disturb those positions if I get a redemption or if the market declines and I want to buy something else. Charlie, it's interesting. I think in a previous conversation you said that uh, Roy Special Equity was like sushi. It's an acquired taste. <laughs> That's and a Morningstar term, yes. People chase performance. They are looking for performance on the upside. And they're not paying as much attention to you know your your mantra of winning by losing less. And, and you've had outflows in the fund as well in this period because small cap value has really lagged. What do you tell investors um, about Roy Special Equity, the, the role that, that you play in a portfolio? From uh, the beginning of my career, I have probably spent an inordinate part of my time pitching new clients with setting expectations. Uh, this is not the fund that will make you rich. Mm -hmm. This is the fund that will keep you rich. Our, our fund tends to be bought by people who have some means, who want to preserve it, who are not particularly risk takers. Uh, think of endowment funds. Think of 401k plans where right. you, know, you want the money to grow but you, you, know, you really have a purpose, a need for it. I, I want to go back to your, your comment that we're seeing a kind of a, a liquidity-fueled stock market rally. And one of the things that, that you've said is that the Fed has crossed the line, that we have a Fed uh, that 
thinks that the stock market is too big to fail. Can you explain what you mean by the Fed crossing the line and how important that is? Uh, Chairman Powell back in May uh, publicly said that the Fed has crossed many red lines that hadn't been crossed before. And there's a clause in the Federal Reserve Act which uh, uh, has a, you know, exigent circumstances, mm-hmm, unusual mm-hmm. circumstances. You can do things. But even by the most liberal interpretation of that, I think, you know, it wasn't supposed to be to buy junk bond ETFs. You know, the Federal Reserve Act, let's go back, it was formed to protect banks. Right. It was the lender of last resort to banks, not to junk bond issuers. And that actually, the collusion, and I use that term advisedly, but I think it's apt between the Treasury and the Federal Reserve last year was something that would make many uh, Fed chair people uh, roll over in their graves. It's something that never had occurred. So the, the, the Treasury lent money to the Federal Reserve, which of course can just print money, create money. So the Federal Reserve levered that money that the Treasury gave, and that's what they used to buy the junk bond ETFs. Right. So we have a situation where the Federal Reserve is complicit, in my view, in the bubble. And you, and you consider what's going on in the stock market a bubble. A bubble. Yeah. And kind I of think, across the board. Yes. Interest rates have been suppressed by central bankers around the world. So far, in a 10-year experiment in quantitative easing, that has produced negligible, negligible uh, improvement in underlying economies. One of the reasons people got very excited about the stock market, they used the term the Fed provided a perennial put. Yes. The the Fed will bail you out. And the Fed and central bankers have done that. But... You, you just can't keep on, this is, you know, ultimately, if we don't get any improvement in the economy, this is, you know, Weimar Germany, this is all the, the bad examples. Uh, to quote Milton Friedman again, there is no free lunch. You create all this liquidity, you monetize it by issuing debt, there's a day of reckoning. You, there's a cost to be paid. Charlie, uh, at the end of every Wealth Truck interview, we ask our guests if there's one investment that we should all make in a long-term diversified portfolio. And, you know, you're a professional money manager. You are investing where you see absolute value, even though the opportunities are much more limited uh, in the current market. So where would you advise that we in- invest? Well, a term that I've used in the past, which applies here, Rate of return is a function of entry level. So currently, the market is very expensive. So future returns are going to be lower. So a greater part of the return, of the total return, the combination of income and capital appreciation is going to come from dividends. Uh 
So what I'm advocating is the iShares Core Dividend Growth ETF. The symbol is DGRO. The management fee is only eight basis points. Mm-hmm. They own stocks in companies that grow their dividends. So if the, if the stock market does nothing, your yield will be higher next year in that the return that you receive, you'll be getting more dividends. Right. The dividend growth in this fund has been double digit. It's been greater than 10% a year. So, you know, over time, you're going to get more in dividends. So if the total return of the stock market, hypothetically, is only 6% uh, in the next couple of years, you're getting two plus percent from dividends. So that's dividends. that's reasonably assured. Unless we go into a depression, that should continue. Not only continue, it actually should grow. And, and you're not envisioning a depression, right? I'm not envisioning a depression. <laughs> uh, unless, I mean, you know, nothing's impossible. No. <laughs> you no. Know, but, but, you know, uh, bad monetary and fiscal action could get us there. Charlie Dreyfus, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you on Wealth Track. Well, thank you so much, Consuelo. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. At the close of every Wealth Track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is take some risk off the table. Everything Charlie Drive has told us about current market conditions is flashing caution. His philosophy of winning by losing less is a tried and true approach advocated by many great investors. Take a look at your portfolio and trim some of your most elevated holdings. You can either redeploy the gains into some beaten down areas like small cap value or save the cash for that market sell-off, which will inevitably come. Next week, Beyond Diversification, author Sebastian Page, T. Rowe Price's financial thought leader in asset allocation. In this week's extra feature, the pandemic's lasting change on Charlie Dreyfus's professional life. Please continue to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you so much for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.